So to just sort of review a little in Isaiah 56, got kind of a theme going on where the Lord had told them to uh, keep justice uh, for salvation was near. And then he said he would bring the outcasts of Israel to his house and gather others also. Um, clearly a reference to the Gentiles. He sort of wrapped up chapter 56 by talking about how the watchmen were blind. So those that should be paying attention and looking out for danger and warning the nation of Israel are blind and incapable of fulfilling their role. So now in Isaiah 57, uh, beginning at verse 1, uh, Lord, the Lord begins to talk about Israel's uh, futile idolatry. The righteous perishes, it says in verse 1, and no man takes it to heart. You know, the idea of the minister, the prophet, you know, the actual watchman perishes, the righteous person, and no one takes it to heart. Uh, merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. So uh, there is this uh, beginning process that turns into a national thing where as people are passing away, dying, uh, being later taken captive and carried away to Babylon, uh, people have this attitude like, oh, they must have been evil. You know, they died early. They were taken out of the way. Look, they've taken, and the Lord is making the statement, yeah, no, I removed them so they didn't have to see evil. And we often get this all backwards. And the Lord's great understanding of all things, you know, taking someone from things that would be horrible. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. You know, the reward uh, that comes from walking with the Lord and following him. You know, it's not implying that these people are righteous and upright on their own. You know, they're better than everybody else sort of attitude. It's the same humility that the Lord is always asking for. It's, it's the uprightness and the righteousness of God. You know, there are people who aren't forsaking their relationship with the Lord in the nation of Israel, and the Lord is you know, removing them from bad circumstances and giving them the rest and peace that they desire. Verse 3, it says, But come here, you sons of sorceress. So in contrast, you offspring of the adulterer and the harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth? You know, the idea of, you know, like, like shock and awe and then stick out the tongue like a child would. And then he, he adds to that the statement, Are you not children of transgressors, offspring of falsehood? So you got this super uh, childish way of behaving. You know, when the righteous do something, you know, I think that there's a similar thing always throughout history. But in our culture right now, when you say, I'm pro-life, the, the world around you treats you like you're the monster. You know, they react with that false shock, like, how dare you, you know, ever even imply that a woman's right to choose should be interfered with. You know, I mean, if somebody wants to drive their car up on the sidewalk and just mow people down, I mean, who are we to interfere with their choice of lanes? You know what I'm saying? Choice is not the most valuable thing in a culture. Saying someone has choice, that's no, there's a life in this. We're talking about and sitting around and acting like you're shocked and somehow to interfere with somebody's ability to use murder as a form of birth control. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's really a childish game that a culture plays when it wants to treat 
as legitimate these discussions about things like choice. There's a life of a child involved in this. Inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree. The idea is, you know, there is a sexual connotation to it, but it's the general idea of, you know, getting yourself completely excited about whatever god it is, and you're doing it everywhere. You, you know, ever under every green green tree, slaying the children in the valleys. This is specifically referring to the worship of Molech and how it was a sexual form of worship, and as such, you would end up with unwanted pregnancies. So uh, a secondary act of worship for Molech was to offer those newborn children from the unwanted pregnancies up to the god of Molech as a sacrifice. You know, the, the method was especially hideous, where they would heat the metal god up by filling it with wood and flammable things. And when it was incandescent red hot, they would place this newborn child in the outstretched hands of Molech, and the child would burn to death. You know, so when the Lord is saying, you know, you slay your children in the valleys, there's a very strong tone of anger behind that. It isn't just through some natural way of life's passing that this is referring to. This is your idolatry has come to the place where you're killing your children. And I would say the same thing to our culture in regard to the exact same thing. The sexual perversion of our culture has caused there to be a lot of unwanted pregnancies. And now we kill those children in a form of birth control, just so that often uh, people can continue to participate in that same pursuit of pleasure. It's a, it's a very sick and very sinful thing that is done, slaying the children in the valley under the clefts of the rock, among the smooth stones in the streams, is your portion. They, they are your lot, even to them. You have poured a drink offering. You have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? So that's kind of wordy and extensive. But the idea of, uh, you know, you claim to be children of God. You're of the nation of Israel, but you're actually sons of a sorceress, adultery, you know, prostitution, sinfulness. Your children are being killed off and then this statement at the end about you know you, you know this god that they they you're, you're going after everything you're just so perverse that uh, you know seemingly whatever is said in front of you next other than me you're running after that you're chasing after these things and this statement you guys of you poured a drink offering and offered a grain offering he he's literally saying uh, specific offerings that I have created and ordained, you have taken out of my form of worship and transported them into idolatry, and you're now using my practice of offerings in your practice of idolatry. The Lord's horribly offended by this. I, I see all of the same parallels in our culture as we see Christianity just being cheapened and destroyed you know i mean how in the world could we ever get to a place where someone coined the term chrislam as though christianity and islam were even compatible let alone being capable of being combined into one religion this is this is the same thing that happens in every culture when its heart departs from the lord it creates for itself a mangled confusion of its own religion and its worship and its sinfulness. Should I receive comfort in these? Oh, you've, oh, you've, so you've offered a grain. You've offered it to another god, a false god. But I mean, thank goodness, at least it was a grain offering. The Lord is deeply offended by it. On a lofty and high mountain, you have set your bed. Even there you went up to offer sacrifices. There are two going up to the high places that Israel did. 
Uh, one of them was to go up onto the highest mountain in their local setting, be it in town or in their region, and they would offer sacrifices to the Lord. And you kind of think like, well, what's the problem there? Uh, the Lord had codified coming to Jerusalem to make their offerings and their sacrifices there. You have to, you have to do this at the temple. And they have adopted the attitude of, well, no, I mean, it used to be okay, and um, we don't really want to go into Jerusalem. It's a, a long journey and a big sacrifice, but we want to still serve the Lord, so we're just going to make up our own minds about this and offer these sacrifices here. The Lord was deeply offended with that. And there was a great purpose in bringing the people into the temple. It was so that there was that constant communal reminder and accountability amongst one another that they were worshiping the Lord. When that's been the way the Lord has said, I want this done from now on, and they act like, nah, we're not really interested in doing that. There are things the Lord you know, puts into our faith that it's our responsibility to follow, and we don't have the opportunity to just decide how we want to do these things, to you know allow ourselves our own choice in creating the order and articles of worship that the Lord is. You know, today, you know, an application. You hear people saying, "Well, you know, the institution of marriage, and look what our culture's done with it." And you know, I mean, after all. I didn't go through a ceremony or get a wedding license, but we love one another in our hearts. And, you know, in our eyes, we're married in the heart of God. No, you're not. Saying, I'm going to take a practice that's ordained by God, and I'm going to reform it so that it fits my desires, my methods. No, there are specific ways the Lord has called us into obedience, and we don't get to rewrite the book. God is the one who says what these things should be or should not be. So the second practice of the high mountains is much more blatant in that they would not go to Jerusalem, they would go up onto the highest mountain locally, and they would offer sacrifices to false gods. This is part of the whole thing, is God is saying, no, I gave you one place. You're supposed to bring your sacrifices into Jerusalem, and that's where we're supposed to be worshiping. You don't, you don't get to go to other places. I mean, you could literally be up there offering to a false god because you're not around the other believers. No one can see what you're doing. No one knows what you're engaged in. It is the accountability in being around other believers. Hebrews telling us, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints as some have taught. We need to be around the rest of the body of Christ and useful in that way. So they've gone up into the high places and be also behind the doors and their posts, you have set up your remembrance for you have uncovered yourself to those who offer than me, uh, those other than me rather, and have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed. You have, you were um, where you saw their nudity. So um, this is an interesting play on words that's done uh, in a couple of ways. You know, behind the doors and their posts, setting up remembrance. There was a practice that was done amongst the pagans of carving the symbols or even the names of your God or your worship uh, in behind the doors. So when you'd almost never see it, um, it would be, you know, on the back of the door. And, uh, it, you know, there was this sort of mystical sense of, you know, my God is pro secretly protecting me, my coming in and my going out, you know, he's blessing me. And, making my life better. So they would put these names in places that were hidden and sort of tucked away, you know, on the back 
of the door frame and on the backs of the door where it would be inside the closure of the door. So, you know, God is saying to them, you're supposed to be worshiping me and you're carving all these symbols and names on your doorposts and in these hidden locations as though I don't see that. Do you not realize I'm the God who's even behind the doors? I mean, you know, like somehow you're going to have, okay, we go to temple and we worship God the way we're supposed to, but, you know, snicker, snicker, I've also carved, you know, this false God's name behind this door. It was just sort of a backup God, you know. I've got the main God over here, but you never know. It's like having a little extra insurance. It's a false God. I mean, there's, there's nothing to it. It's not going to be, provide you with any help along the way. It, God is mocking them in this. He's, he's saying to them, you know, this whole thing is, in the end, it's, it's a spiritual adultery that you're committing. You know, the, the nudity that's described here, the bed that's described here. You've gotten into bed with other gods. It's a betrayal of me. You know, there isn't just a, a forthright, um, well, I've weighed it out and I don't want to worship the God of Israel anymore. I'm going to start going to this other temple and worshiping this other. So rather than there being at least that level of honesty where there's a defiance and Instead, it's a sneaking around as though there is some real power they can tap into. Well, I'll also secretly worship this God because I need that little extra push, you know, that little extra help and protection from them also. And, and after all, I've done it secretly. So, you know, the God of Israel, he won't notice. I've, I've done this in a place where he can't see it. See, it's carved on the back of this door. You know, the Lord is openly rebuke. Imagine what it would have been like to be in this culture and have literally have developed this mindset and this practice. And here comes the prophet who's saying, you know, God actually can see that you're writing on the backs of the doors. Like, it's not, that's not hidden from him. The cutting through to the heart, the way the Lord does that with us to make sure, no, I can see what you're doing. You went to the king with ointment and increased your Perfumes, you sent your messengers afar off and even descended to Sheol, uh, the place of the dead or the grave. You are wearied in the length of your way. That's a poetic expression. Uh, yeah, like, uh, I guess it would be difficult for me to completely understand it, but it's the idea of in your sin, you've had to travel f- so far to accomplish your sin that you're exhausted in it is sort of what he's saying. You're wearied in the length of your way, yet you did not say, there is no hope. You couldn't, you couldn't see in your circumstance that, you know, it's like the carrot that you've been chasing all along. You didn't notice that it's always the same distance away from you. That didn't, you know, you, no matter how long you pursue, it's just, right, it's just a little more. If I could just have a little more of this experience or a little more of this drug or a little more of it, it's just always further out there. God is saying you you didn't know that. You didn't say, this is hopeless. I'm never going to get this carrot. I'm never going to accomplish whatever, you know, sick, sinful desire is in my heart that I keep scratching at and nothing comes. You have found the life of your hand, therefore, you were not grieved. The idea that you know the, what you wanted was in your very own hand. So you just kept going after the thing that you desired. The obsessive, compulsive behavior that is sin in a way that we somehow think we're satisfying ourselves and don't. 57.11, and of whom have you been afraid or feared that you have lied and not remember me, nor taken it to your heart is not because I have held my, is it not because I've held my peace from of old that you did not fear me? You know, were you threatened? Did somebody put a gun to your head and make you pursue idolatry to follow after sinfulness? Is that how that 
went, God is saying, you know, what were you afraid of? What did you fear that compelled you into this? And, you know, God is saying, that wasn't me. You know, you, you, then you lied and you didn't remember me. <laughs> you know, lied and didn't remember me. You know, if somebody comes to us in the midst of our sin and says, what are you doing? You know, this is sin, Will. You have to stop this. You have to leave this. And in the midst of it, you know, if I were to argue with them and act like, well, God never helped me, so now I'm going to do this, which is often how, you know, the bitterness comes. It's, I just, you know, I, I just felt like there was never going to be any answer, so I went and pursued my sinfulness. You know, the Lord is saying, when you say that, you're lying about you're acting like I'm not your only hope. You're acting like I haven't bailed you out of the past. You're acting like my character is something other than the perfect loving God that I am. How is it that you've run off to these other things? Like I said, was somebody you know threatening you that you had to do that? I will declare your righteousness and your works for they will not profit you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, but my righteousness, and I'm, I'm, you know, a Christian, and I, God says, no, 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 I'll be the one who declares whether you're righteous or not. I'll, I'll be the one who gives you a clear understanding of who you are and what you are. You know, I'll declare your righteousness in your works, for they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. You know, you make, oh, I'm righteous. No, you're not, God says. Oh, you're going to cry out in your pain and sorrow. Okay, well, you're going to call out um, since, you're calling out to me. But since you've got all these idols, why don't we just let them answer you? Let, let's let them deliver you from your circumstance. But the wind will carry them all away. A breath will take them. But he who puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. That's the idea of literally being established as the nation of Israel. If you're going to trust me, then you know I'm going to be able to do great things you know, with you and through you. I'll establish you. One shall say, heap it up, heap it up, prepare the way. Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. This is, um, it's a very different way of saying it, but this is the exact same thing that uh, John the Baptist came saying. So uh, he comes and says, make straight the way of the Lord. It's, it's the same message of, you know, there are these deep valleys and holes and ruts that would keep the Lord from having easy access. So fill it in, heap it up is so, you know, prepare the way, you know, the things that would block or keep it from happening, you know, remove them out of the way of my people. You know, it's, it's, a, it's actually uh, throughout the scripture, it's a universal message of make straight the way for the king. Remove the obstacles, you know, pave the roads, smooth the path so that our God can have free access to the throne of our heart. Let him rule and reign. This, this concept, by the time John the Baptist is saying it, has actually become a cultural statement about, at this point, it's, it's developed throughout time and, and the different world governments, but by the time the Romans are on the scene and John the Baptist is saying, make straight the way of the Lord, <clears throat> they would say this, in their culture, months and weeks before the arrival of a dignitary, particularly if a king was going to come, the the proclamation would be made to a town that you need to make straight the way uh, for the king. You, you need to this this goat path that leads down into your town uh, needs to be dug up and filled in and flattened and paved over so that the king can have clear passage to come in here and rule over you as a people. That's the statement that John the Baptist is making. Make straight the way of the Lord. 
That's that's what the prophet Isaiah is saying here. Heap it up, straighten it out, prepare the way. So in verse 15, it says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. What, a, what an interesting uh, statement. He doesn't inhabit the temple. He doesn't inhabit the mountains. He doesn't inhabit the high places. He inhabits eternity. That permeates all space and time right there. God is everywhere and in, and in all things. You know, he, he is, you know, it's impossible to escape him. He's the high and lofty one, escape, you know, inhabiting eternity, whose name is holy. Literally, his name is holy. I dwell in the high place, high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. The idea of who will I live with? Who's, who's going to dwell with me for an eternity? The person that has the contrite and humble spirit. I mentioned that in the beginning of the study. He's still looking for that humility. You know, talking about the uprightness and the righteousness. Here he confirms what he means by that. The contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. So those that are contrite and humble, what should they be doing? Reviving the hearts of those that are contrite and humble. You know, fellowship, uh, being around one another and building one another up, as the New Testament says, you know, building one another up towards love and good deeds. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made for the iniquity of his covetousness. I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry. And I went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways. I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comforts to him and his mourners. Kind of a complex statement, but overall it's referring to number one, Israel, and those that would be children of God and the way that the Lord is basically saying, you know, as far as you've backslidden, I'm still there with you. And my purpose and my intention is restoration, healing, leading, restoring, you know, restoring even comfort. You know, sometimes we get that sense, okay, you know, God is the repairer of, you know, broken and sinful things. So, you know, I guess he kind of has to Take care of me. No, no, it's the idea of, you know, he's even going to restore the comforts to you. He, he literally loves us enough. Uh, you know, we, we have that attitude all the time of, you know, fool me once, you know, shame on you. But, you know, after that, you know, fool me twice, forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to allow that to happen again. I might even, you know, respect you within Christianity, but I'm keeping my distance because, you know, you've demonstrated that you have this problem or whatever. That's not how the Lord works with us. You know, his restoration of relationship and function is complete. I'll come all the way back into full embrace and love and caring for you. You know, the, the, the need for comfort for the person that mourns. Uh, in verse 19, he says, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace. To him who is afar off and to him who is near, says the Lord, I will heal him. God's, you know, the, the very thing we so often hear people say, you're right, I need to come to church. You know, the, the one who's there, who's always in church, oh, I just, I've been drifting. I need to get, you know, I need to get back to doing my devotionals more regularly. I just not where I should be. And in contrast, the person who's a million miles away, Who's saying, oh, I, I can't come back to church now. I, there's just things in my life i got to get right before. If, if you're right there, almost right, completely right, or massive distance away from the Lord, this is the Lord right here saying, you know, I'm the one who gets to say, you know, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace. My desire is that I would take the one that's close and the one that's afar off, and I would heal them. Don't let anybody else tell you what my desire is, my character is, right? The one that lies to us about God the most is us. It's a weird thing we do. 
We get the weirdness going around in our head, and we're convinced God is certain, you know, thinking certain things of us. And then if we slow down and listen, along comes his love and his acceptance and his restoration. So what was keeping us from him? Us. Us. It's unfortunate we do this. New Testament says almost the same thing. Paul says to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. This is the heart and mind of God, to reach people where they're at. Back in Isaiah 57, looking at verse 20, it says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Uh, the Jews especially thought of the sea as it was like outer space, you guys. There were just horrific uh, monsters down there of you know, inexplicable description and anything that plummeted into the depths was lost for eternity. There was no getting it back. You know, the, the depths of the sea were horrible places. So, you know, this statement about the wicked are like the troubled sea. You know, the troubled sea will grab right hold of you and take you into the depths of the sea. These fishermen, these people know and understand this very vividly. You know, this is not the days of life preservers, and coast guard, right? This, this is ancient times, and the ocean is a treacherous thing. Cannot rest. The waters cast up mire and dirt. Now in 21, it says, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So this isn't just a common statement of our day. This is scripture. There's no rest for the wicked. You know, the, the, the exhaustion that he talked about earlier, the way that we just go and don't come to the place where we say, this is enough. There's not going to be any good down this road. So 58, let me continue here. Verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob, their sins. Don't hold back. Got to blast it right out. Got to say it plain. I always hate it when I see some pastor on TV and he's just dancing around the term sin, just just trying to talk about punishment in hell without ever being offensive in any way. Declare it the way it is. I, I get it, sure. Some of those crazy, sweaty preachers that were screaming about hellfire and brimstone were kind of weird too. But the message of hell and punishment and death and sin needs to be front and center in the church. To get away from that message is tragedy. You know, lift up your voice. The people are transgressions. Jacob, their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why are we fasting, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you've not taken notice? This is God saying, first of all, the people have to be very plainly warned. And then he quickly moves over to what is all of this daily worship of me that you're doing? The fasting and the afflicting of your soul, you know, wearing, uh, you know, sackcloth, making your body uncomfortable with all that scratchy material. What, what is all this you're doing? You know, for anyone religious, they would automatically say this is the worship of God by implication. And he's going to say it outright. By implication, God is literally looking at their worship going, so what is this you're doing? Like you're, you're, I see you engaged in a thing there, but what is that? You know, it's tragic. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. 
that is in sin and exploit all your laborers. You know, you're engaged in taking advantage of people as you fast. While you're engaged in you know, difficult acts of worship, you're simultaneously completely violating my word, is what the Lord is saying. You know, this is you taking advantage. Indeed, you're fat, you fast for strife and debate about religion. You know, someone look on and go, oh, well, you're fasting over here, but you're taking advantage of your laborers over here. What's up with that? And they want to then be able to argue from the position, you question me, I'm over here fasting. Look at how I've afflicted my soul. You know, you dare call into question my Christianity? The Lord is calling it into question right here through the prophet. You know, and strike with the fist of wickedness. You fast, but it's for strife and debate. And strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. You know, praying and fasting so that God might hear you. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? Uh, the, the idea, you guys, the, the bulrushes have that heavy head and they blow and stand and blow and stand and they stand at the wailing wall and they pray their prayer. This is literally what the Lord is saying about their act of worship and their, even their method of prayer. You know, it's just... You know, you putting on a show, you bow down your head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord, you know, while you're in the middle of your sin? This is this is how we do it. <laughs> is this what I've asked for? No, the Lord is saying. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. You know, the year of jubilation came, and you didn't release people from their debts. You didn't set them free. You, you took advantage of your laborers, as he mentions back in verse uh, 3. You know, you exploited all your laborers. You were supposed to be functioning according to what I, what, what was the fast I wanted Freedom for people. I wanted freedom for you. I wanted freedom for the people that served you. I wanted freedom for the nation. And instead, what are you doing? Oppression and exploitation. That's a really tragic thing that we do with our financial influence around the world. Using our money... <laughs> Listening to a report on Hong Kong, because right now Hong Kong is trying to gain its freedom from China. There's just massive protests going on. And listening to, a, of all things, an interview on NPR. And uh, in that discussion, they're talking about the advancement that has taken place uh, with America's influence in Hong Kong just in the shoe industry alone where when they started, the average pay per worker was $14 a month. So work in a shoe factory for a month and get $14. The Americans in Hong Kong, because of the freedom that has historically been there, have increased the wages of those same workers to $400 a month. Since 1997, that's a dramatic increase. $14 all the way up to $400. It's still an exploitation of those workers. You think any American that's wearing those sneakers that were made in Hong Kong would take a job where they were offered $400 a month? So what, what is our American dollar doing? Our Christian American dollar doing? There's some serious questions to be asked, and uh, 
I think we really need to get our heart, our Christian heart, in the voting booth. You know, what's going on in our nation and the way we've departed? You know, I was just having a discussion yesterday with a guy about, no, 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 the founding fathers are deists. They weren't actually Christians. Uh, you know, you might be able to say that about Mr. Payne, but as far as everybody else involved, no. You know, their confession is Jesus Christ. You know, adding Christ. You know, our you know in the year of our Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, this this is the nation that was formed here. So we have all this worship, but we're doing what with it? If the, if the Lord is you know, rebuking this nation in ancient days for exploiting its workers, and it's easy for us, right, to sit back and say, I, I didn't make the laws. I'm not the one who's done this. I just, we've put these people in power. If, if, if we have not stepped into the voting booth, right, what's that old thing all it takes for evil to advance is for good men to do nothing. You got to at least lend your voice, you know, to what is real opposition and stand up against the evil that's in the world. This whole thing of, you know, dressing up as uh, believers and Christians is an unfortunate practice. What is the real fast? You know, the, the real thing that I want you to participate in? Freedom. Delivering people from bondage of wickedness, heavy burdens to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, your own children. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Right? This nation referred to by George Washington and others as the city set on a hill that Jesus Christ described. Are we that city set on a hill? That great example? As we abandon the truthfulness of walking with the Lord and serving Him, have we cared for the poor and needy? Then your light shall break forth when you do these things. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Well, isn't that what we all want, what we all need, is the response and the presence of the Lord? You, you want that? Feel like it's not coming? then it needs to be that we are living a life that demonstrates and provides freedom. We need to declare that to the world, to speak out and share with the people that need to hear it. This idea that you haven't done these things and you need to begin to do it, and that's how the Lord will be revealed in your life. Verse 9, if you take away the yoke from your midst, and the pointing of your finger, and the speaking wickedness, just like it sounds, pointing at somebody and saying, that person right there, and whatever accusation we have. If you extend your soul to the hungry, rather than your critical pointing finger, if you extend your soul, your whole person, to the person that's hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday, just like it sounds. Everything will be light and life and illumination. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. When, you know, when all other things are dry, you will have satisfaction. And strengthen your bones. You shall be like a water to guard it and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I think every one of us knows what it's like to have an opportunity to serve the Lord, you know, very heartily. We you know, had all these occasions of the school and VBS and Night at Bethlehem and 
you go and go and go. And then in the midst of it, there's a deep satisfaction of seeing someone respond to your message and to the gospel and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to present. So for all the work and exhaustion, the drought that should be there, suddenly there's a satisfaction and a fulfillment. You know, the disciples come back as Jesus has been ministering to the woman at the well and then all of those people there in Samaria and he's talking about, you know, I've got bread that you don't know anything about and they're trying to figure out who brought him lunch and Jesus is saying, no, 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 to do the will of the Father is what I'm talking about. That's the satisfaction of my soul. That's the thing that fulfills me. You know, this this idea of your soul, even though there'd be a drought, you'll be like a well-watered, healthy, you know, strengthen your bones, a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Uh, those uh, from among you shall build the old waste places or the places that have become ruined will be rebuilt, is what he's saying. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of breaches, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You know, fully reconstructing the city is sort of what is being said. And that's going to come about, right? I mean, they're going to go into their captivity, and then when they come back, they will have been purified from this idolatry, and they'll begin a reconstruction process of the country the city of Jerusalem, and the spiritual atmosphere of Israel. Think about that, right? Any of us that have studied Nehemiah know they begin that construction and the people start to fall into sin and Nehemiah is now smacking people in the face and pulling out beard hair and telling people, no, 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 we're not going to drift again. We're just getting back into this country and we're just reestablishing ourselves, particularly in worship of God, and now you're going to start doing things that are sexually sinful and even idolatrous, taking wives from other nations. We're not going to subvert this nation again, is what Nehemiah is saying. I think that that's an important aspect of what the Lord is describing here, that as things start to get built up again, to have people in the midst that squash corruption that could destroy the work that's presently going on. You know, when the Lord wants to build a thing, he wants it to be built right. He wants it to be repaired and restored in his way. 58.13, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, the worship of God, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So think about this summary for just a second, you guys. Fasting equals not eating. You know, the Sabbath equals not working. What we do not do does not make us acceptable to God, is what the Lord is saying. If you get right with me, we're going to be right with one another, then you will automatically honor the Sabbath the way you're supposed to, is what the Lord is saying. You know, these people were, what did we just hear described? They're keeping the Sabbath. They're keeping the fasts. And yet, they're also worshiping other gods. And the Lord is saying, that doesn't work at all. That, 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 that doesn't have any level of function at all. The only way you get to the place where it's right, where your relationship is right with me, and then you'll automatically honor the fasts and the Sabbaths that you're supposed to. You know, think about this in light of the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2, we've talked about this many times. Verse 16, Colossians 2, 16, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance 
is of Christ. If we're connected with the substance, which is Christ, if we're daily in the word, if we're worshiping him, if we're in fellowship with the body of Christ, if things are right, then we have what we should in our worship. If, if we are performing all kinds of acts of worship, and yet we're not right with Christ, then none of the picture's right. That's the summary of what the Lord is saying here. Your worship, your fast, your sacrifice, all meaningless. Why? Because you're engaged in these other things. I think that's a very significant message for the church today. You know, when the church is talking about, oh, we need this new thing, or we need that new thing, or we need you know, something, the thing that's missing is Christ. You know, the church is not where it should be with the head, which is Jesus, and therefore everything else is, what's that highly technical term we use all the time? Discombobulated, right, yes. That's the way it becomes. You know, fix, fix the relationship with Christ. And everything falls into place. Am I oversimplifying it? Yeah, just like Jesus did. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Why do we get it so mixed up? <laughs> what is our problem? Why do we try? So, so confusing, so sinful what we do. Return to the simplicity of worshiping the Lord, abiding in him. Everything else starts to fall in place. Amen? Amen. Well, we're early, but we'll end right there. Pick up with 59 next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters, Lord, for the common faith we share, for the love you've given us, the work that you perform in our lives. Lord, bless us. Keep us. Watch over us. Lord, give us opportunities to share our faith to build your kingdom in strength and in numbers. We want to see people come to know you. We submit ourselves to your guidance and ask that you would orchestrate the circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen.